Welcome to the political beatdown with Michael Cohen and Ben Micellis on today's show. We're going to cover some of the latest updates on the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation of Donald Trump, or as much as Michael Cohen can possibly uh, talk about. There have been more MAGA Republican hearings, which also means more MAGA Republican humiliation. They've held these additional hearings on weaponization. They held the hearing on wokeness. And look, Democrats are actually doing a pretty good job exposing this nonsense and this MAGA Republican anti-American agenda. We'll talk about that on the show. Ivanka Trump throwing her family under the bus. Not really a shocker. And the New York Attorney General's fraud lawsuit set to go to trial on October 2nd. When it comes to our democracy, whatever. But when it comes to money, that's when the Trumps will really start throwing each other under the bus. And we got to talk about some of the new filings that have been unsealed in the Dominion $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox, including text messages where behind the scenes Tucker Carlson was saying things like, I hate Donald Trump passionately, um, but saying he has to spread the election disinformation so that he could keep his ratings. This is the political beatdown. Cohen, how are you? Oh, man, how you doing there, Ben? Hello to the brigade. All right. Hope everybody is doing well. Um, it is hard to imagine that for how long we were listening to Fox News talk about you know, how the election was stolen from Donald and how these Dominion voting machines were changing the determination from the Trump to the Biden count and the whole nonsense that was going on. When at the end of the day, what did we really learn? We learned that none of them believed any of the bullshit that they were spewing. In essence, they were lying to their viewers, something you will never get here from Ben and I. You will never hear us lie to you about the pol- in the, on the political beatdown. Everything that we tell you is backed up by fact and not our fact legitimate fact. I mean, we all know that Dominion had absolutely nothing to do with it. Fox, Fox's head, Rupert and Lachlan Murdoch, knew that they were lying. Everyone was more concerned about stock prices than they were about truth, especially as it relates to, to our democracy. I mean, this is just an absolute disgrace. And if this, if their behavior doesn't remind you exactly of the shit that took place in the very first season of uh, The Handmaid's Tale, then I really don't know what does. So look, the the text messages between Tucker and his producer behind the scenes, while they're lying and spreading the election disinformation on screen, behind the screen, Tucker's communications with his producer, frankly, look like they could be my communications with you or like any of my friends about what we're actually talking about. So when you pull up these text messages, for example, where they're talking about one of these Giuliani press conferences, right? And the producer saying to him, the press conference has gotten worse. And then Tucker 
Tucker responds, I keep hearing that so bad. I really want to ignore it. Sidney Powell and Rudy are fucking liars. And then some of the stuff's redacted. And then the producers making fun of the conspiracy theories that Tucker spreads on air. And the producer goes, by my count so far, the election was stolen by a coalition of Soros and Nicholas Maduro various software companies and small time gangsters. I'm not making any of that up. And Tucker's response, it's all so desperate and deranged at the same time. Then the producer's like, I left out the Cuba and China connection. And then you've got Tucker going and Rudy's hair color has been dripping along his face for 40 minutes. It's still happening. Big, long lines. And you go to the next series. He then texts the producer the photo of Giuliani. His sweat is dripping. Temporary hair color. My mind is blown. They are mocking the people behind the scenes. And that's not to mention this other one where he goes, I hate Trump. I hate him passionately. Look, look at the messages. He goes, I hate Trump passionately. I blew up at Peter Navarro today in frustration. I actually like Peter, but I can't handle any handle much more of this. This is what is really going on. It's 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 sad that they are just such freaking liars. Yeah, and what's sad is that it's not just that they were liars. The fact that their viewers they believe them. That's the whole thing. And it's like, you know, you lie about something and you lie about it with or by people who have um, reputations. And then all of a sudden, the people who are watching them start to believe it. And then they start to promote the same lie. And then it becomes like a snowball down the hill. Right. And then it becomes this gigantic avalanche of bullshit that's just completely out of control. It's really fucked up, to say the least. I, I I couldn't agree more with you there. Um, tell me I, something I, though, Ben. So tell me, how is it then? Now that Fox bullshit is out of the bag, how is it possible that Rupert Lacklin or any of the people on the board of Fox News, how come they haven't already gotten rid of you know uh, Laura Ingraham or Tucker Fucker Carlson or Sean Hannity? How are they still on the air? How is it that anybody is still watching them? even after knowing that they bold-faced fucking lied to you about something as important as democracy. I don't understand anybody that's watching that show. It just doesn't make any sense. Well, everyone who's on that board needs to be very, very, very nervous, um, especially with the outcome of this uh, Dominion trial, because to your point, they're supposed to exercise some modicum of independent judgment and in exercising that independent judgment. How do you not only have a situation where you're aware of these lies and you do nothing, but on the same week where we're learning about this? You've got Tucker spreading these disgusting and despicable conspiracy conspiracy theories by selectively editing the footage that Kevin McCarthy gave him. Like it's kind of the perfect storm, if you will, that these Dominion uh, filings are coming out the exact same week that Tucker and Kevin McCarthy entered into their deal where Tucker showing all this disinformation and trying to act like the January 6th insurrection was this like peaceful, enjoyable event. Right. 
and and the con the contrast couldn't be more clear. But that trial. When, ben, is, when are we when are we going to see somebody from Fox? When are we going to see maybe Rupert Murdoch himself apologize for the misinformation, disinformation, malinformation that his company, that his news organization was spewing? I mean, do you think that we're ever going to see anybody? take ownership for the lies and the promotion of these lies? I don't think so. And then on top of it, to receive these 41,000 plus hours and then have them clip them down into 7, 10, 20, 30 second clips so that now you have all of these defense counsel claiming that without all, without us being able to view all of the information that exists on these 40,000 plus hours of surveillance tape, we're not going to be able to effectively right, represent our client as best as we can, regardless of the fact that many of them have already pled guilty to the charges that have been brought against them, seditious conspiracy, et cetera, um, you know, in, acting improperly on the Capitol grounds, uh, breaking an entry, destruction of government property, whatever. All of a sudden, they're showing like a seven, eight, ten second clip of the guy just walking down. Yeah, but they don't show what happens before or after. So it's just selective cutting of this of these tapes. It's really the whole thing is just truly despicable. It would be like showing video footage of a 9-11 uh, hijacker or a terrorist when they were at the airport eating peanuts. And then basically, like, you see, they were eating peanuts here. It's like, well, that doesn't mean that they that the entire time they were right. engaged in the like, what are you talking about? But to your point about the board of Fox, you know, Paul Ryan, former speaker of the House, who was complicit with all of Trump's criminality and was super weak then, his nickname should just be complicit because this is what he is uh, uh, text messaging. We have his messages on December 6, 2020. And he like is saying that there's something wrong, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't resign. Right. And he gives them the cover that they want. Fox wants in this case, the same way that he gave Trump the cover that Trump wanted, um, you know, his because he has like no shame. Like, look at what Paul Ryan was saying December 6, 2020. And by the way, he's saying he's making good points here. But watch what he's saying. He goes, morning, guys, exclamation point. Happy to chat Trump if you want. I think we are entering a truly bizarre phase of this where he has actually convinced himself of this farce and will do more bizarre things to delegitimize the election. I see this as a key inflection point for Fox where the right thing and the smart business thing to do line up nicely. A solid pushback, including editorial of his baseless calls for overturning electors, will undoubtedly accrue pushback and possibly momentary ratings dip, but will clearly rebound to our benefit in terms of credibility. Trump is going to wear thin and look crazier by the day. Let him cleave off the fringe for his venture and we can keep the largest pool of people, the center and center right. Fox is stronger than he is now. And later, in my opinion, just a few thoughts at this pivotal time. Best Paul Ryan. But here's the thing, Cohen. If you believe that, that's not just like a, hey, guys, how are you? What do you think about this traitor and us committing defamation every day? If you're part of an organization that does that and you make a statement the way Paul Ryan does and then your organization does the opposite, you don't work at the organization anymore. You quit. 
You say, I'm done. I'm out. That's what you're supposed to do. But that's why Paul Ryan now, who's getting screamed at by Trump and getting mocked, now he's also on the hook and liable in Fox. And this is exactly what he did in the Trump administration. Do you, is it something psychological with these country club no, Republicans that they just no. can't speak up? What, you know, they're just traitors? No, it's, not, it's more than that. It's even grosser than that. My belief, it's all about the money. Right. Or as they say, it's all about the Benjamins. That's all that they get. Paul Ryan never saw the kind of money that he's seeing as a member of the board of Fox. Right. You're seeing Tucker Carlson making what, 20, 30 million. You got Hannity making 40s. You got Laura Ingraham making big, gigantic dollars as well. They don't give a shit about the truth. Fuck the truth. The truth doesn't matter. As long as I'm able to buy another house, I'm able to upgrade my airplane every few years. Or, you know, stock another Ferrari, Lamborghini, or, you know, whatever it might be in our garage, in our second, third home. That's all they care about. And if you, you fucking sucker who is listening to me, wants to buy this shit, believe it so that I can keep, you know, making more and more money, so be it. And that's what they said. We're worried about our viewers. We're worried about our viewers not sticking with us and running off to Newsmax, which is another garbage organization, that we're worried about them going there as and then losing our advertising dollars and so on. I mean, that's all that this is about. It's almost like selling a product that you know is going to kill the user, but you don't care because you use it. It's very much like the opioid, you know, crisis with the family. I forget what their what their last name was again. Um, they had they had the great um, you know show. I think it was on Netflix. Uh, where they talked about how they knew that the opioids, that OxyContin was going to kill people and addict them to it. Instead of pulling back and stopping and letting people know what's going on, they got doctors to double and triple and quadruple the dosage, right? And I say this because two of my best friends, my oldest friends in the world, both died as a result of it. This is exactly the same shit. They don't care about the viewer. They don't care about the user. All they care about is how much money that they could put in their pocket. The, Stackler the is the Stackler name, by the way. It's the Stackler family, yeah. Stackler family. And, and some of the journalists and reporters, if you want to even call it that at this point, who work at Fox who are going and speaking on background, who claim they work in the news division. And they have been talking to a bunch of media outlets. They spoke, for example, to uh, the Daily Beast. And to your point about Newsmax and the fear of losing viewers to Newsmax, someone who works in the Fox so-called news division said on background to the Daily Beast, quote, the biggest eye opener of all of this is the paranoia at the highest levels of the company that an upstart like Newsmax can even be in the same arena as Fox for them. This is Fox, dude, Fox News. Like we have a huge infrastructure nationwide, so many resources that something like a Newsmax just cannot even come close to matching. And to think that they were so concerned about losing market share to someone like Newsmax and to go so far as to report these conspiracy theories on air, that to me is the most revealing of all of this, that people in positions of power, Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, Suzanne Scott, the CEO of Fox, all of them, they were actually genuinely concerned and passionate paranoid without pandering to the Trump base and entertaining the lies that they would actually crumble 
as a business. And look, for all you people too, though, who are speaking on background and still taking your check from Fox, I got news for you too, like you're complicit. I appreciate you sharing that view with the Daily Beast and others, but you're being used as the prop for the thing that you're criticizing so they can go, oh, look, we have news people here. But really, they lean into their propaganda shows in the evening hours. But Ben, remember something too. And Salty, if you could find the clip, Sean Hannity turning around and making the statement that, you know, I'm not a journalist. I'm an entertainer. I'm a, uh, you know, I'm a talk show host, I think is the exact words that he used. No, you're not a talk show host if you are on a Fox News channel, because that's what Fox is portraying themselves to be. So anybody that's there technically should be telling the truth. But we don't see anybody anymore, you know, really talking about the truth from so many of, you know, these Republican uh, politicians all the way to, and when I say we're not seeing any of them, I'm talking about on the on the far right side. We don't see any truth. I mean, you start to see committees coming out now, like the subcommittee on weaponization of government. Talk about a fucking farce. They're sitting there and they're worried about something that happened on Twitter that dealt with the coronavirus as opposed to worrying about the weaponization by the former administration because it doesn't match their their um you know their storyline and the same thing we're seeing about these far right members of the military who are freaking out about what a complete and utter total disaster that Afghanistan, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was, again, under the Biden administration. Well, if you call getting 135,000 people out of Afghanistan, which is a freaking war zone and has been for over four decades, well, I don't know, maybe I disagree with you. And does my heart go out to the 13 service members that died? It absolutely does. But that was done by some lunatic who was wearing a, you know, an explosive device on um, one of those, um, you know, one of those vests. You can't stop that, especially not when you're extricating yourself from a war zone. We all know the two hardest times getting in and getting out of a war zone. And they did the best that they can. Oh my God, it wasn't pretty. People were hanging on the sides. They were trying to jump barbed wire fences. I don't know what was going on there, but 135,000 plus people were extricated by this administration, by the Biden administration. And I would turn around and I would say, well, you know, that that's a resounding success. But you hear the exact opposite and everybody wants to fight you. You know, you turn around, you talk about the benefits that Biden administration has done getting the COVID vaccine into people's arms or the, you know, COVID relief package or any of the other what did they say, 23 bipartisan things that the Biden administration has accomplished, but not good enough, not good enough. You know why? Because Biden sneezed when he was coming down the steps of, you know, uh, Air Force One. Therefore, it's a massive, you know, doom and gloom situation. It's really become a complete and utter joke. Here's the clip of Sean Hannity where he says that he is not a journalist. Play the clip president so keep speculating nobody in the media has any idea of who my sources are who they're not and who i talk to who i don't talk to and i will not reveal my sources and all these hate trump media outlets they put they all pretend they're they're unbiased that they're they're journalists well I'm, i don't claim to be a journalist we do journalism 
what we say about being a talk show host, we're like the whole newspaper. Now, we do straight news when there's a war, straight news on weather, straight news on important you know, incidences that are happening, like Ferguson when that was happening, or, or Baltimore. And then we give a lot of opinion. So we're the news page, the editorial page, the opinion page. We even do gossip and sports. Like tonight, for example, Tim Tebow's on. So we're like the whole newspaper. That's what we do, freedom of the press. But we identify what we do. Now, we do our own research like we did with vetting Obama, like we do on the deep state. We do investigations. We bring you news and information you won't hear or see anywhere else, an opinion you won't get anywhere else. But all these hate Trump news people that claim to be journalists, no, they're really editorial writers and ones that make up a lot of BS at the same time. Cohen. Yeah, I mean, what is there? What is there to say? I think a couple of the comments that were in there having him as like an ass clown. I mean, for God's sakes, first of all, if you have sources, that means that you're a journalist. It doesn't mean that you're a talk show host. And what that means, oh, we're the whole newspaper. Again, it's all, it, it makes absolutely no sense what the guy is saying. All he was doing was, you know, pandering to Trump because it benefited him. It benefited his ratings. It benefited the amount of money that he was making based off of advertising, like from this moron Mike Lindell and his stupid fucking company, uh, that pillow shit. I mean, that's all that this is about. This is all about them making more money, more money, and more money. That's it. You, you, you used to know Hannity, you know, behind. The yeah. Would, would he like brag about how rich he is? Would he like like were, were any of these signs there when, when you like like when you would speak to him kind of person to person behind the scenes? Would he just be like, yeah, I'm killing it, man. I'm just making so much. Fucking Look, money. yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. When he got his airplane, um, you know, he would talk about, you know, that and then other personal things about family and so on. Look, I get it. Everybody wants to make as much money as they can. And God bless. Everybody should. And I hope everybody makes as much money to keep them and their families, you know, safe and happy and healthy and well-fed and well-clothed and whatever else it is that, that they need. But it's another thing when you're selling something, right? In this case, it's bullshit lies. But it's not just bullshit and lies. It's bullshit lies that are destructive to our democracy, that basically you're like, well, I don't give a shit. At the end of the day, if democracy falls, you know, the day after I die, it didn't matter because I had a wonderful life. I had multiple homes. I had my own airplane. I had multiple cars. I had, I was taking trips whenever I want. I have a shit ton of money in the bank. That's just not selfish. It's stupid because look, how many times have you heard me say this, Ben? If you have a strong, America, you have a strong world. If you have a weak America, you have a weak world. And one of the things that America was doing, especially under the Obama administration, is we were trying to be the best that we could be worldwide. And then along comes, you know, the Trump administration, and everything goes to shit. It's all about nonsense. Oh, we're going to build the wall, and who's going to pay for it? And you have these these dopes that finally learn something. Oh, and they all start screaming Mexico and applauding. And every time the guy burps or farts or sneezes, it's like the greatest burp, fart, sneeze that they've ever heard. So they applaud this jackass. Next thing you know, it's the promotion of lies, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. 
even when Donald himself knew, like with COVID, that he knew that it was dangerous, that it was going to kill people. But what did he say? Oh, we don't want to worry anybody. We don't want to cause fear. Really? You don't want to cause fear. It's why every parent who has half a brain puts one of those plastic covers in the electric socket when you have a brand new child so that when they're walking around, they don't stick their fingers into the electrical socket because you care about that child's future. If Donald cared about any single one of us, he would have let us know that the coronavirus was more dangerous than what he was purporting. Oh, don't worry. It's like the flu. Yeah, we lose some people from the flu, but don't worry. It's going to be over in a few days. Go back to work. Don't change your life. A million Americans died. And does this guy take any responsibility for that? In fact, does he take responsibility for anything? And the answer is a resounding no. Michael, I want to give you my theory on Tucker Carlson's villain origin story. So when he was struggling around 2002, 2003, um, to really make a name for himself, he looked at that time to Bill O'Reilly, who was the big host at Fox. And what Tucker thought about Bill O'Reilly was that O'Reilly's just playing this part. He's lying to the base. He knows that he's lying, but look how successful Bill O'Reilly is. And uh, this old video footage of Tucker resurfaced where he's talking about O'Reilly, but he may as well be talking about the Tucker we now know today. So let's play this video that's recently resurfaced of Tucker Carlson from 2003. So this is the first video I want to show you. Then I have one more for you, but play this clip. Another quote from your book, Bill O'Reilly's success is built on the perception that he really is who he claims to be. If he ever gets caught out of character, it's over. That's right. I, I, I say before that, that, you know, Bill O'Reilly's really talented. He's more talented than I am. You know, he's got a lot more viewers than I do. He's a better communicator than I am. Uh, but I think there's kind of a deep phoniness at the center of his shtick. Uh, and again, as I say, the shtick is sort of built on this perception that he is the character he plays. He is every man. This kind of, po he's not right wing, he's a populist this kind of Irish Catholic populist fighting for you against the powers that be. And that's great as a shtick, but I'm just saying the moment that it's revealed not to be true, it's over. The moment he gets caught, you know, slapping a flight attendant on the Concord for not bringing his champagne fast enough or barking at, you know, one of his subordinates to take the, you know, brown M&Ms out of my bowl and get me a bottle of Evian or something like that. The second that makes page six, it's over, right? Because the whole thing is predicated on the fact that he is who he says he is and just nobody is that person especially not someone who makes a million dollars you know many millions a year as he does. you see at the very end where he goes especially someone who makes many millions of dollars at the year and then i want to show you this one other clip because around that time tucker hosted a show on cnn called crossfire and tucker played the part of kind of a moderate republican who would take that position and they did this live show at the george washington university which coincidentally I was wow. at that live show. Um, that was that was family weekend that crossfire at George Washington University, and Tucker gets utterly humiliated by John Stewart, and that's the moment where Tucker that you just saw, you'll see him get humiliated. You'll see the look where he was like, "I'm just going to become." a rabid fascist liar and that's my path to success because i can't compete intellectually with someone like a john stewart on facts play this clip special effort to come on the show today because i have mentioned uh, this show 
as being uh, uh, bad. <laughs> it's not so much that it's bad as it's hurting America. <laughs> so I, I wanted to but come here today let me, and say, wait, wait, I just, let me, here, here, here's just one, what I wanted to tell you guys. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> stop, 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 stop hurting America. Okay. I watch your show every day. And it kills me. I can tell you a lot. It's it. so, oh, it's so painful to watch. Your partisan, um, what do you call it, hacks. Wait, John, wait. Like, let me, let me, you have a responsibility to the public discourse. And you, you fail miserably. I think you're a good comedian. I think your lectures are boring. You're on CNN. My, the show that leads into me is puppets making crank phone calls. <laughs> what is wrong with you? It's someone who watches your show and cannot take it anymore. I just can't you fail miserably. School, I think you need to go to one. Now this is theater. I mean, it's it's it obvious. Is, no, no, it How old are you? Thirty-five. And you wear a bow tie. Yeah, I do. I do. So, I hate to say at all. I, I, mean, I do think you're more fun on your show. Uh, just my opinion. But can, can okay, you just, next, John Stewart goes, one you know on one with his fans. You're as big a dick on your show as you are on any show. There you have it. Right there. Yeah. You know, and there's the part that's the most disappointing when it comes to somebody like Tucker Carlson, my understanding, and you can all Google it yourself, but Tucker Carlson's family is somehow affiliated that he is um, part of the Swanson uh, family. You know, the Swanson company, they do the fish uh, and so on. So this is not somebody that wasn't born with, you know, money, with a silver spoon in his mouth, so to speak. This is a guy who came from, you know, from a family with real means. And the fact that he's willing to do the things that he's doing all in search of what? the greater amount of money so that he could now turn around and boast to the rest of his family and say, hey, look at me. I'm willing to fuck up American democracy for the almighty dollar that, by the way, we already had and that we already have and my trust fund will continue to give. I don't understand. I don't understand people like this. Again, I understand the concept of making money. I made money. I want, you know, that was something that was important to me as it's important to just about everybody. But I'm not willing to do the things. In fact, I've lost virtually everything that I had earned as a direct result of Trump. So when all of these haters want to turn around and say, oh, you were nothing until Donald came along, that's absolutely not true at all. And again, if you read either of my books, Disloyal or Revenge, you'll understand the truth. So it's there. there's a personal scenario where you have to say, I need to think now more about the country, more about the future, more about my children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren and great-great-great-grandchildren and generations to come that I need to think about my own personal needs and the need to have not one but two airplanes, not three but five houses. There comes a point in time that you should not want to have your finances impede upon a woman's right to make a determination what to do with her body or all of the other bullshit that's going on right now. And that's what makes them even more despicable than they actually are. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Lomi. Now, I've never been able to compost before. It was always too complicated, too much work, and frankly, I don't think I even knew if I was doing it right. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with a push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs, and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage each week. 
My family, we're down from three bags per week to just one. And here's something cool. My wife, she recently started gardening and we've been able to use the scraps of dirt to help fill her garden. And since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, I turn my waste into nutrient rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. I feel so great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. I have a basically limitless supply of dirt for my garden. The other week I had my in-laws over for dinner and the food cleanup was a breeze. Plus, they think I'm super eco-conscious now. If you wanna start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to lomi.com beat and use the promo code beat to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to lomi.com beat and use promo code BEAT at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. And now, back to the video. I wanna challenge something that you said just now though, because you said that you pretty much lost all of your wealth as a direct result of Donald Trump. But I wanna challenge that and say, you lost a lot of your wealth because you decided to stand up for our democracy. The reality is that if Fair. you kept if you kept going in that direction, you'd probably be a significantly wealthier person by sure. far right now, but you were confronted in real time with a decision that a lot of people were seeing, whether it's the Murdochs, whether it's the Tuckers, whether it's the Ingrahams, whether it's the Kushners, you were confronted with the exact same situation. And in your mind, you, you, you at the time, the decision was, Cohen, I'm a, I'm a wealthy person right now. I'm doing well. I could become a significantly wealthier person. I'll probably get pardoned. Let me go down that path right. and let me hurt our democracy. Or on the other hand, I'm going to make a sacrifice for this democracy, for this country. I know the repercussions. You face the repercussions. You're facing the repercussions to this day. That was a decision that you made that was hard. And that's not even the right word. It's beyond hard. But that's what you are confronted with. And you, to protect our democracy, have done this. That's why, if you view it in that context, why I believe that you are really heroic, that the, con that the conduct you engaged in was something that everybody else in that orbit did not do but you. I think it's yeah, you know, Ben, you're right about how you characterize it. You know, and I'm not, I'm not one for the flattery in terms of what I did. I did because I felt it was right. I did it because I knew that that's how my wife, my daughter, my son felt that I needed, you know, to step up and to do. But so many people used to say to me at when I was in Otisville, if you would have just shut up, if you would have not, we'll call it, turned on Donald and provided information, what do you think would have happened? You would have been the first one to have gotten pardoned. And they're probably right about that. I mean, if he pardoned Roger Stone and Paul Manafort, two people he didn't particularly care for, right, because they were on his side, I too would have been pardoned. And if I was pardoned, where do you think I would be right now? Not here on Political Beatdown, not doing uh, my, you know, my mea culpa podcast, not putting out Disloyal in my new book, Revenge. I would be on Fox News as a host, just like another fucker Carlson or Hannity or Ingraham. I would have my own show, and if not on Fox News, 
like, you know, like so many others ended up going and working there. I would have ended up, you know, working for Newsmax as a, as a host. Like I think Laura Trump, who's as dumb as a stump, right? I mean, she has her own show. I'd have my own show on it, or I would have, you know, the support of all of like Kushner with Mohammed bin Salman and everything else. No, it wasn't important to me at that at this point. What's important to me is our future. You know, it's the, the future of our democracy so that my children could have no less than what we have. My God willing, one day my grandchildren, the great grandchildren, that they should be able to enjoy the, you know, the benefits of democracy and that we can start to see a world change so that you don't see things like Russia versus Ukraine with the slaughter that's going on in the death on both sides, by the way, or the fighting that's going on in the Middle East, whether it's Israel and Palestine, whether it's going on between Syria and Iran and all of these things. How nice would it be if one day all we had to worry about on the news was that, you know, little Petey's cat got stuck in a tree. I mean, how nice would that be instead of the war, the famine, the hurricanes, the, you know, the climate change, the, you know, the weaponization of Justice Department, whether it's, I mean, there's so much that's going on every day. It's no wonder that people are, you know, they're just walking around shaking their head. When, when can I take my head out of the sand and hope to see a better world? And when you mention there the weaponization, the true weaponization, which is now being exposed over and over again in these committee hearings, ironically, it's the MAGA Republicans who are trying to say, look, it's Biden who's weaponizing the DOJ. But consistently, the Democrats are exposing these MAGA Republicans as are we going to forget about what Donald Trump did? That's actually what weaponization did, not what President Biden is doing at all right now. By the way, I'm sure a lot of people in this chat room would love for Biden to weaponize the DOJ. They'd love to say, put this guy in jail immediately. Um, but Biden's not doing that. And often when we see these committee hearings, like just now, Cohen, like like that's why I love doing the show live because there's breaking news that happens all the time. And oftentimes breaking news about you, but these weaponization, quote unquote, weaponization hearings being held by the MAGA Republicans. You know, Dan Goldman, a former federal prosecutor, now a freshman Congress member from the great state of uh, New York, um, you, it cited you, said that, want to know what a real example of weaponization is? It's what Trump did to his own lawyer when his own lawyer spoke out against him. He put Cohen in solitary confinement for 51 days because Cohen wanted to release a book that just happened right now. Let's play it from the committee hearing. I want to get your response to what Congress member Dan Goldman says. Play the clip. Mr. Chairman, yeah. you have repeatedly said that this committee is all about protecting the First Amendment. Mm -hmm. And what's unfortunate here is that we are talking about Twitter and that we are not talking about Republican government officials around the country who are banning books. And we are not talking about Would the gentleman you no, I will not. And we are not talking about Donald Trump jailing his former counsel to prohibit him from publishing a book that the president did not want. The former president literally jailed his enemy. And we're here talking about Twitter. Twitter. And even with Twitter, you cannot find actual evidence of any direct government censorship of any lawful speech. And when I say lawful, I mean non-criminal speech because 
plenty I'll of give you speech one. is non-criminal. Cohen, that's about you. Your response. So what's my response? My response is thank you, Dan. Thank you for keeping this in play that we're still talking about Trump administration's weaponization of the Justice Department to go against his critic, hence the name of my book, right? Revenge. At the end of the day, add now Dan Goldman to the likes of Congressman Jamie Raskin, right? God bless Jamie Raskin. And then Congressman Steve Cohen, no relation from Tennessee, right? Who also brought it. One of the things that I did when I found out that this subcommittee on government weaponization was coming to fruition, I, I met with my old friend, buddy, lawyer, Jeff Levine, and we penned a letter and attached a whole bunch of documents. And we sent that document right in its entirety to each and every member that was on this new subcommittee asking for an opportunity to come in and to confront them. That's what Jeff Levine, my lawyer, wanted. He wanted to go in and to confront them on what he saw, what he knows, what happened when it comes to weaponization. Now, I want to be crystal clear about something, something I've said often, and I'm going to say it again today. If, in fact, that there is weaponization under the Biden administration, they, too, should be held accountable. But just because Republicans say that the Biden administration, or just because Donald Trump says that the Biden administration is weaponizing the Department of Justice or government to go against their critics, doesn't make it, it doesn't make it so. What do we know? Let's talk facts, my friends. And what are the facts here? The facts are that Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice using a willing and complicit, bloviated attorney general scumbag, Bill fucking Barr, right, in order to go against his critic, namely me, having me lured down to 500 Pearl Street, where they went ahead and they they remanded me back to Otisville handcuffed, shackled, threw me into a freezer, then sent me back up to Otisville for another 15 days of solitary confinement because they didn't want the book Disloyal to come out. I mean, how fucked up is that, that this is the United States of America, that this man, this former president, this animal, decided that he was going to use the full power of government to silence a critic and do so in one of the most unethical, unconstitutional, un-American manners possible. So thanks to Dan Goldman and thanks to Steve Cohen and to Congressman Raskin. And by the way, there are others. Hakeem Jeffries and Ted Lieu penned a letter almost going on coming close to three years ago, asking for an investigation to be opened up and asking for documents from FOIA. And guess what they've gotten so far? Nothing. Right. And then so did Carolyn Maloney. She asked for it. And so did Senator Dick Durbin, who asked that the inspector general for the IRS open up an investigation into the IRS's actions towards me because there was no there was no tax evasion. So open up an investigation, get us the documents so that we can see what's going on here. And not one person has received a single document. Question why? Why? Why is it so hard to get a document that belongs to you and me? And the answer is because any one of those documents would show that the Trump administration managed to weaponize the DOJ and that they did to an American citizen what they did. And there's a bigger picture here, which is, you know, the fact that 
you will not be able to trust government. You will not be able to trust the Justice Department going further unless, of course, we fix it, unless we expose what happened and why and ensure that it never, ever happens again. And that's my journey, my friends. That's what I talk about in the book Revenge. That's what my journey is in order to ensure that what happened to me, the despicable treatment that I have been going through over five years now, never happens to anyone ever, ever again. And as while I'm still walking this earth, that's my, that's my mission, and I will make sure that it happens. One of the topics that MAGA Republicans are bringing up in committee hearings that are taking place right now as, as we are live, the MAGA Republicans are attacking President Biden's hiring practices. And so uh, the Democrat freshman from Florida, Jared Moskowitz, wanted to have a word about Trump's hiring practices. Play this clip from moments ago. Wow, what an exciting hearing today. Uh, you know, we heard that we should go back to Trump's hiring procedures. Uh, and that, you know, we heard that, you know, we should hire people on merit, you know, like Trump did. Well, it certainly wasn't merit when he hired his children into the White House or his stepson, right? I, I assume you weren't the one who approved Jared Kushner's security clearance when security experts said he shouldn't have security clearance. I, I assume that wasn't you. Uh, Congressman, I wasn't in the administration at that yeah, time. Yeah, no, I, I know. Um, <clears throat> you know, I assume you also weren't the person who hired General Michael Flynn. You know, that wasn't your hire. We do career uh, civil service and mm. not politicals. Right. Y you know, I'm not the only one who thought the hiring procedures from the Trump administration were pretty bad. I mean, one of Trump's own allies just said a couple weeks ago that he loves President Trump, but his HR was horrible. In fact, quite frankly, it's President Trump himself that says, quite frankly, his hiring procedures were quite terrible. John Bolton, who worked in the Trump administration, Trump called him a wacko and a sick puppy. Jeff Sessions, who was hired by Donald Trump, was called mentally unqualified. John Kelly, who was hired by Donald Trump, he said, Trump said he was way over his head. Rex Tillerson, who was hired by Donald Trump, he was dumb as a rock. You know, Nick Mulvaney, who was hired by Donald Trump, says, if there's one criticism that I would level against the president is he didn't hire very well. So I'm, I'm again perplexed. Here we are yet again at another hearing where we want to talk about, you know, going back to, you know, Trump's old, good old days, and now we want to bring back Trump's hiring procedures if, because, you know, they're trying to score some points for you. But, you know, HR wasn't really a strong suit in the Trump administration. Don't listen to me. I, I just listen to Donald Trump. He admits the people he hired were terrible. He hates all of them, in fact, which is an unbelievable sort of event. And so with that, I yield back. Thank you. That is Democratic <laughs> Congress member Jared Moskowitz from Florida's 23rd Congressional District. Cohen, he he right? had only one, Ben. He had only one mistake in that entire speech there. Jared's not his stepson. It's his son-in-law. But putting all that aside, everything that this brilliant young man, uh, you know, stated, you know, good for him because he's spot on. He's spot on. I used to sit and talk to people. Let, let me tell you how 
these people ended up getting to where they were. They were involved with the campaign. They showed loyalty and fealty to the Fuhrer himself. And so as a result, for being so active and helpful in some aspect of Donald's life, we're now going to make them not ambassadors. We're going to make them, you know, the secretary of education, the secretary of transportation, the secretary of energy. I mean, that's where they all came from. And so are we talking about going to the, as Donald said, the swamp and finding people um, or going to the world and find, throughout the country and finding the best people? No, because after Donald won the election and you know he was now president-elect, he has to fill like 1,500 positions. There were none filled. People go into the election with a book. I remember taking from Anthony Scaramucci, Mitt Romney's red book that showed who was going to take what position. And there were multiple names to choose from. The day after the election, after Donald won, right, all of a sudden, everybody's running around handing out to those of us a stack of papers this big that had all of the 1,500 uh, positions on it or so, asking, write down any names of anybody that you think would be good for that position. That's how it happened. So why do you think, right? Could you imagine that you had Reince Priebus as chief of staff, the guy that was known throughout the entire campaign as rancid penis? I mean, that's what people would call him to his face. This little fuck. That's what they would had, call him? They would call him rancid call him penis? To his face, rancid penis. And how, and would he, he was, <laughs> how would he respond? We can't bury that story. So the people in the White House called Rens Priebus no, people rancid at the campaign. penis to his face. Yes, people during the campaign when he was there, after when he became, right? And he would still be around the Trump Tower. That's just what he was known as, rancid penis. So does and, it, pause for a second. All so, right. So he'd come in the room, Rens Priebus. Um, then he, he ran the RNC, right, for a little bit, Rens Priebus. Correct. So he, he'd come in, and then the people in the Trump campaign would call Rens Priebus. They'd go, hey, here comes rancid penis. Hey, rancid. They would say it to his face. To his face, and they would, would Trump call him was, penis to his face? No, no, Who? no. And so, everybody, that's how he was referred amongst everybody, all of his peers, uh, you know, there. And, and I understand that it also, you know, followed through when he became chief of staff. But my point being that he was with the RNC, it was just an unlikely hire because the guy was incompetent. The only competent guy, I shouldn't say the only, one of the most competent was a guy who I had recommended, which was David Shulkin as um, secretary of the VA. And why? Because interestingly enough, despite being a Republican, Barack Obama had him as the um, assistant secretary uh, to the VA. So he had years of experience. He's also a medical doctor and he cares about veterans. In fact, he's the only one out of the entire crew that received 100 votes um, for confirmation. So it just goes to show you that the group of people, for the most part, that were there were incompetent. And not when I say incompetent as far as the field that they had come from, many of them were actually quite successful, like a Lou DeJoy, right, who had a very successful company that did, uh, what, what is it, um, you know, strategic moving of, um, of 
properties and stuff like that. And so they thought that he would be a great fit for the Postal Service, but he was not. In fact, his company is in direct conflict with the Postal Service because, you know, they sort of, they're, they're sort of frenemies. And it's just, again, the entire hiring practice, this guy Moskowitz is spot on. The entire hiring process that was handled by the Trump administration it's exactly why the Trump administration failed in creating anything, because each and every one of these people were in it for themselves. I was going to Google if that was an exclusive scoop we had here on the Midas Touch Network that Rents Priebus's nickname was Rancid Penis. So I was about to Google it. I thought better than to Google that. I'll just accept that we've got the exclusive scoop here. But talking <laughs> about bad hiring practices... Ivanka Trump, who was an official advisor, uh, she was getting paid by taxpayers in her capacity as an official advisor. And more significantly, her and Jared Kushner made nearly a billion dollars uh, while they were both in positions of uh, public trust and, and public power and, and official public uh, positions. But it's now being reported. Well, I mean, she made a filing, so it's that's why it's being reported. But in the New York Attorney General's uh, fraud, civil fraud lawsuit that's set to go to trial October uh, 2nd of 2023, Ivanka Trump is basically saying, look, you can go to trial with my other family members on that date, but I should be treated differently here because all of those statement of financial conditions, I wasn't a part of that. I wasn't working for the Trump organization in 2017. I didn't since 2017. So I didn't sign things. Those accusations okay to go after my family, but get me out of this lawsuit, or at least as it relates to me, do a separate trial against me or, or move move me to a later time period. You had mentioned on the last episode that separately, Donald Trump, through his lawyer, Alina Haba, I guess is still representing him, also requested a six-month delay. The judge, Arthur Ngoron, has previously stated, come hell or high water, a direct quote from Judge Arthur Ngoron. This case is going to trial October 2nd of 2023. Ngoron, back in February, reaffirmed that sentiment. Tish James had always been saying they're trying to delay, 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 but what do you make of Ivanka's move here? Do you think she's coordinating this with the other Trumps to kind of help them and use herself as an excuse to try to blow up the trial? Or do you think maybe she's actually legitimately throwing them under the bus? No, this is a legitimate throw under the bus because, look, the kids are all in competition with one another as well. You know, she ends up marrying Jared Kushner, who Charlie Kushner, Jared's father, was a very successful billionaire himself in his own right. They elected to step away to go to work as senior advisors in the Trump administration, despite everyone, mine included, everyone's, um, you know, recommendation to Donald that they not do that. They can go to D.C. and spend time with him. That's fine. But to be special advisors, it, so it violates the whole nepotism law. But they didn't care. And you're right. They ended up, I believe, the number that I heard they made during their four years, there was like $600 million. But on top of that, Jared used his relationship with the Saudis to not only end up bailing out 666 Fifth Avenue, the single worst real estate deal ever done in the history of New York, 
bailed out this scenario that would have bankrupted his daddy's company, but on top of that, manages to get a $2 billion influx of capital to a hedge fund that he just starts with a 2 and 20, 2% you know, fee and 20% of the profit, despite the fact that the Saudi Investment Authority uh, Board of, of um, Directors all stated emphatically that this kid is not capable of handling or he's not the, he's not the right fit for handling our money. He just has no experience and that they, they were all against giving this money until oh, um, literally Mohammed bin Salman turned around and said, I don't care what my finance committee says, send the money to Kushner. So if you really want to figure out what the fuck is going on here, why in the world would Mohammed bin Salman, after his finance committee for the Saudi Investment Authority, tell him that Jared is a bad idea, still goes ahead and does it? I mean, really? Somebody has to give me the answer to that one. And as far as Jared and Ivanka potentially being the inside leaks to the FBI and for the raid and for the Mar-a-Lago documents, that wouldn't shock me either because the two of them, they only care about the money. And if that means that the father, the brother, the other brother, everybody else goes under. As long as they're continuing to build their $60 million home in South Florida, as long as that they have the ability to financially do anything and everything that they want, that's all that they care about. There's no love amongst the kids for each other. There's no love for the father. He's basically a means to an end for all of them. The same holds true for Don, the same holds true for Eric and for Lara and for the whole clan of the cave bears. And finally, let's talk as much as you can. And I know there are restrictions. I know there are limitations because you are a witness in the Manhattan District Attorney's uh, ongoing criminal investigation into Donald Trump. For everybody out there, there is a criminal grand jury that is impaneled uh, in New York that is hearing evidence. This isn't like a special grand jury, that procedure that apparently exists in Georgia where it makes recommendations and then you have to have an actual grand jury that has the power to criminally indict. Nope. In New York, the Manhattan District Attorney has impaneled a grand jury that actually has the power to indict. It's heard at least from five witnesses that we know of, people who are uh, close to Donald Trump, people, some people who have testified at the previous Trump organization trial. We know that Hope Hicks has met with the Manhattan District Attorney. We know Kellyanne Conway has met with the Manhattan District Attorney. We know Cohen has met with the Manhattan District Attorney 19 times. Cohen broke that news on the last political beatdown earlier in the week. And again, I know there are limitations but is there anything you can tell us um, that maybe hasn't been reported anywhere else or at a high level, anything you can tell us? So what I will tell you is I am going back again tomorrow. That'll be number 20. Uh, tomorrow is a, you know, a full day. I will be there, not a half day, but I will be there for a full day um, going over all of the testimony again. Um, you know, with the district attorney's, uh, you know, team. And from there, we will see, you know, what happens. But I have famously said, and I stand by that statement, I do believe that Alvin Bragg, the unlikely scenario is that Alvin Bragg will be 
the very first to bring the indictment against Trump. And I've said that all along, even when there was nothing going on. I always felt that if there was going to be the first indictment that I would believe that would be the district attorney of New York's case. Um, you know, remember that our unsinkable attorney general, and I love calling her that because that's what Tish James is. She's unsinkable and unstoppable. At the end of the day, you know, she's going to financially wreck Donald for what, you know, the uh, inflation and deflation of his assets and so on. But I do believe that it will be the district attorney of New York that will be first in line as it relates to uh, an indictment. So as we say, brigaders, <laughs> stand back and stand by because the shit's getting real. <laughs> it is getting real and it gets real each and every political beatdown that we do. Michael Cohen always love doing this show with you. No one says it more real, more honestly, and more in the Cohen-esque way than, of course, the original, the OG. Michael Cohen. OG. Michael Cohen, thanks so much. Thank you to all. Always been great to be with you. All and the great brigaders. Make brigaders. sure you check out Michael Cohen's book, Revenge, wherever books are sold and wherever audio books are sold. How Donald Trump weaponized the Department of Justice against his critics. Real weaponization. Make sure you buy the book, Revenge. Make sure you subscribe right now to the Midas Touch YouTube channel. We are marching to 1 million subscribers in the month of March. We've got 20 or so days left in the month to hit that 1 million subscribers mark. So please make sure you hit the subscribe button right now. Also check out store.midastouch.com for the best Midas Touch gear, including the official Mea Culpa podcast, Mar-a-Lardo Correctional Facility t-shirt. Go to store.midastouch.com. And again, to all the brigade out there, thank you so much for making this a top podcast. Subscribe on audio as well. So wherever you get your audio podcast, go right now, search Political Beatdown, make sure you subscribe there. Also check out Cohen's other podcast, the Mea Culpa podcast, and subscribe there as well. Thank you, everybody, and a special shout out to the Midas Mighty. <laughs>